0: Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hello there, everybody. It's good to be back with you. I know somebody reminded me this last week, they were like, man, I was listening to the podcast and then I saw that the last episode you posted was in March. I know it's been a little bit of a hiatus, Uh, we've been away, uh, but life has been extremely busy and now we are back. So let's just celebrate that we're back. Um, We're here, it's good to be back with you and if you remember back to March, uh, we were talking through uh, John 14 where, where Jesus is answering a question, I believe of Philip and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is one of Jesus' great seven I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, And so we have talked through the way. We've talked through the truth. And now we are going to lean into the life. And before we lean into the life, um, I need to preface that I in no way, shape or form have totally exhausted those other two aspects of what Jesus is saying here, the way and the truth. Um, we're just sort of touching base on these different aspects of this statement, the way, the truth and the life. And my hope in my prayer is that you would be led to scripture to discover more of what Jesus is saying. The statements that Jesus makes, especially of himself, are very complex, um, but very simple at the same time. They're easy for us to receive on a surface level, but also there's a lot of complexity to that. And my hope and my prayer is that you would go and seek those out in Scripture, because that's what he wants. He wants us to seek him and to discover more of who he is and to interact with him as we read the word and the Holy Spirit comes and helps us understand. And then also to pray and talk with him. I talk with him daily. And sometimes he speaks clearer than others. And usually that's my fault, my busy mind. But we hear God speak. And that's what guides us in life. And of course, in life, that that brings us to the topic that we're talking about today, Jesus as the life. And I think it's fitting. I've been reading in Isaiah lately and I stumbled upon this scripture that is really incredible. So I'm going to read it to you here. This is Isaiah 30, verse 19. It says, For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. Your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. There it is, the way. When you turn to the right or to the or turn to the left then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images you will scatter them as unclean things you will say to them be gone and he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread and produce, and pro- the produce of the ground which will be rich and plenteous. In that day your livestock will graze in large pastures, and the oxen and the donkey that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain, every high hill, there will be brooks running with water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. So this sort of gives a picture, again that's Isaiah 30, starting in verse 19 all the way down to 26. So this sort of gives a picture. And again, this is a prophetic picture. If you read the book of Isaiah, there's lots of prophecies about Jesus, um, even prophecies about end times, and probably within talking about the life. uh, I'm going to integrate. I sat down and had a conversation with Derek Ball, um, who is a post-millennialist, that, that basically means it's one way of looking at and viewing the end times. And this could have stuff to say with end times. This could have stuff to say with just after we enter into a life with Jesus, we believe in him and we trust and know um, that the sacrifice that he made on the cross was in place of us and the punishment that we deserved because of our sin and our brokenness. And that he took that sin upon the cross and he took that punishment that that was meant for us so that we could enter into life. And that's where life starts with Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He has first and foremost provided life through his death and resurrection on the cross. So if you remember to the cross, when he died on the cross, uh, There was this veil that was torn in the temple and that temple separated um, the rest of the temple from what's called the Holy of Holies. And when that veil was torn, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, that meant that all of humanity could enter into the holy place, um, which is the very presence of God. And at Encounter, we've the young adults community that I get the opportunity to serve. um, We we've been walking through the Upper Room discourse, and that's that's where this is from. uh, John fourteen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is basically unpacking this intimacy that He's going to make available to all um, who trust in Him and believe in Him and follow Him. And so that's where life starts at the cross. But we also see sort of this life um, that that is to come for those who dwell in Zion or in Jerusalem. Now, Zion and Jerusalem—they're they physical places. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, is in Israel; um, it's it's their main city there. Um, and then Zion is a portion of Jerusalem um, that then in in the old. In the New Testament, in Revelation, it says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and you might see reference throughout Scripture. As you're reading Scripture, again, I always emphasize, let's let's go to Scripture. Don't take any man's word for it, me or anyone else. Um, as you're searching out Scriptures, you may see this new Jerusalem or this new Zion. Um, and that's just meant to describe sort of the, the new kingdom, the kingdom that, that Jesus has ushered in. Um, that that now because of his death and resurrection on, on the cross, we have started in that direction, that we have been restored to a, a state like the garden where we could walk with God, where we could talk with God, and we can meet with him daily. But what what I found significant about this text in particular is it talks about prosperity. And there's a huge... Um, there's a lot back and forth about, and maybe you'll hear it in, in Christian culture or on YouTube or whatever, um, these attacks on the prosperity gospel. Um, and you, you know, the prosperity gospel gospel is interesting because it almost promises this. Once you come to Jesus, you will be financially abundant in your life and, uh, that's not always the case. And that's, that's the huge misnomer is it just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're going to necessarily have access to all the financial resources in the world. If we look at the, the life of the apostles. So the apostle Paul, he was in and out of prison and house arrest. His situation wasn't by our standards standards, abundant or luxurious or lavish. But what he operated from was a place within himself, this internal place where he got to meet with God, who is our greatest need. He is life itself. And and so I want to walk us through this for a moment to understand that this idea of prosperity, biblical prosperity, is really emphasized in these terms in Isaiah 30, 19 through 26, we see that those who dwell in Zion or in Jerusalem shall weep no more. That's good. That's like internal prosperity, right? Shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. So in the Basically, we we see in scripture that we can go boldly before the throne of God and we can ask him anything. So in Philippians 4, it says, rejoice in all things, and but don't be anxious or rejoice in the Lord always, but don't be anxious for anything. But in prayer and supplication, um, which supplication is a fancy word for ask, go to God and he will bring peace beyond our understanding. So we see scriptures like that, where, where we see he has given us a place that even though God is an omni-god, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, um, he's a big God. He is close. He's close to us and he hears us. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, the bread of adversity. So now we see this scripture painting a picture that life isn't going to be perfect, Right adversity is hard um, and then he goes on to say, and the water of affliction and the water of affliction. So he's it's painting this picture of sort of the situation around us maybe being adverse and and you experiencing some affliction and it says that God will give you this bread and God God will give you this water. So almost pointing, to scriptures like, I I believe it's John 16, where Jesus is talking about um, how peace or joy comes like a woman giving birth. Joy comes after we have had to endure something. So we don't truly appreciate um, if you were living, and this is probably a bad example because we're talking about prosperity, If you have lived your entire life and not had to think about where you're going to get your next meal or, and I'm not saying McDonald's or Arby's or, or, you know, the fancy steakhouse downtown or whatever, I'm saying if you have not lived in a place where you have lived in poverty and, and wondered how you're going to provide for yourself that day, um, in fact, you have never had to worry about that because you've had enough and you've always had a roof over your head. And I'm guilty of this in that I've always been in a situation where I've had a job, I've had a place to stay, I've had food in my fridge and hadn't had to worry about where my next meal is going to come from. And so I, I have a different perspective when it comes to gratitude and thanksgiving. I can take things for granted so easily. Whereas if somebody who came from poverty is then given much, thanksgiving and gratitude comes way easier to an individual like that. Not always, but to an individual like that. When you have had to endure or or experience affliction or adversity, then when this thing that that you've been this almost this boulder you've been pushing in life starts to roll. You are that much more overjoyed. I remember I was in a cab in Australia. Um, I believe it was Brisbane, uh, Brisbane, Australia, and uh, man, the the cab driver was just like he was oozing joy, um, or at least happiness. I don't know the depths of his happiness. Um, and again, we've talked about that. The joy is deep, deep um, a deep, deep work, um, deeper than happiness because God sort of digs this deep, deep hole with things like adversity and affliction, um, to fill it then with joy. So it's a deep well of, of deeper happiness. So that's what joy is. But, but this guy, this taxi cab driver, he was just so joyful and so happy. And maybe he was just having a good day, but we asked him, we were like, why are you so joyful? Like where, where are you from? And he said, I am from Somalia. Now, Somalia, it's history. And and even currently, um, I believe still currently there's, it's a wild place. Um, there's a lot of violence that's happened in its history. Um, and, and it is not necessarily, a wonderful place to live. And so this guy saying, I have gotten out of that place and now I live in a place that's way more stable, like Australia, um, as a taxi cab driver. He was so grateful and joy was just oozing from him. So we see this idea of the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore but your eyes shall see your teacher. So in the midst, and and that teacher is capital T, it's pointing to God, right? So we see in the midst of adversity and affliction, you you get to come near to a teacher, right? Which then this points to post-cross, this being able to not be hindered by this curtain, that we get to come close to the teacher but your eyes shall see your teacher. So we get to experience him in a way that's like looking at him and seeing him. And your ears shall see, or shall your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or to the left. So, so basically, talking about Jesus's direction in the midst of this affliction, in the midst of the, in the midst of this adversity that Jesus is guiding us, right? And then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with gold and silver plated metal. I I read that wrong. Silver overlaid with silver and your gold plated metal images. And you will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. So the reason why you're saying this to your images is because everything pales in comparison to now this relationship that you have with the teacher, right? This capital T teacher, you can see him, he hears you, you hear him, you've come close to to this teacher and this is the way walking it. He's showing us how to live this life to live. Sounds pretty incredible. And so then it goes on from 23 to 26 to sort of talk about hey, what you sow, it'll, it'll in the ground and the bread, it'll produce and it'll be awesome and everything will be rich and plenteous and it talks about donkeys and oxen and what they're going to eat and these streams pouring forth from the high mountains and the light of the moon will be brighter and the light of the sun will be brighter. But but then it says in the day when the Lord binds the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow, so he's. What I want to point out here is when you, at least for me, when I look at sort of this situational um, section of twenty three through twenty six where it's talking about what the world may look like and sort of the things that may happen. To me, it pales in comparison to this relationship that that is being described in Isaiah 30 with the teacher. That the teacher is going to be there teaching us, guiding us. Um, he's going to hear our voice and, and, and we're going to hear his. And he says this is the way, walk in it. This really points to this idea and whether this text is s- specifically about end times, um, which I believe it it does point to that and have a lot to do with that. But it it reminds me of a text in John 17. Um, and again, we've been going through this at encounter. So if you're a part of the encounter community, uh, this is sort of a refresher of what we've been talking about. But in John 17, this is at the very end of the upper room discourse and Jesus is is basically uh, praying to the Father and he's he's had this uh, amazing conversation with his disciples but now he's he's praying to the Father and in this first section it's just between him and the Father and he's he's not really thinking about the disciples but soon he's going to pray for the disciples. So he says father, this is chapter 17 in verse 1. Um, I'm just skipping down a little bit. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm going to read that again. And this is eternal life. He is defining eternal life here. This is eternal life. From the words of Jesus. This is written in red letters in my Bible. This, These are the words of Jesus. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying eternity is not a place necessarily. And you can read at the very end of the Bible in Revelation. It talks about this amazing city um, and the river of life. There's a tree and the sun is the very glory of God. It sounds incredible. But what Jesus is saying here is that eternal life is not a place. It is a person. And it, it just brings me back to Isaiah 30, what he's laying out here. We can get all hopped up on what's going to happen. We could, we could talk about financial prosperity. Um, we could talk about, you know, things being produced. We could talk about what the donkeys eat. Um, but again, it goes back to this teacher will be close to you and you to him. And he will speak to us and say, this is the way walk in it. He will guide our steps. He will guide our heart. And if this Truly, if if what Jesus says is true, which it is, we've already gone over the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, what he continues to prove in my life, time and time again, and historically, what I what I discover over and over and over again, is that he is what he says he is; that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, when Jesus says that eternal life is Knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ from whom he sent, that, that when we know God, God the Father who wills it all, God the Son who, who carries out the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit, the delight between the two, when we know God, when we know the teacher, everything else falls into place. If we know God and all that he is, and we are listening to his voice, and we are being diligent in the things that he is putting before us, then everything else, of course, the the brooks running from the high mountains and, and the produce and all of that is wonderful. But I think what the apostles, the apostle Paul and all the others who died martyrs, knew and understood is that in the midst of the persecution that they were enduring, In the midst of the time that they lived in, where Christians were being systematically rounded up and murdered for entertainment, slaughtered for entertainment, that they had this eerie, almost eerie peace about them. And they understood and they had this calm about them that they were living the life because they knew the life, the very person of Christ, the very person of Christ. And I I hope you're seeing what, what I'm laying out here is like in Isaiah 30:19 through 26. We can get all jacked up about, man, maybe what this might look like eventually or what it looks like all around us. But the focal point is the teacher, that in the midst of the adversity and the affliction, that the teacher is there with us through it all. God himself guiding us through life because he is the life and he brings life and purpose to everything that we do day by day. I hope and pray that this is a blessing to you. This is the start of our conversation about Jesus as the life from John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Be blessed guys. We'll talk again soon. Uh, Hopefully next week. We'll see you then.